This podcast is presented by State Farm, a proud supporter of women's soccer and all women's sports. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I've listed this in my <laughs> mind because I've watched each one. I'm like, he can't do it again, can he? Bex? I know. You supported in order the United States. Bang. Japan. <laughs> Bang. Australia. God, did you have an England shirt on today? I dared not wear any England gear yesterday in, in hopes of shaking the curse. You are the curse, though, Brendan. That is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> From Apple News, I'm Rebecca Lowe. Oh, you can hear the pain in her voice already. And I'm Brendan Hunt. We're coming to you after the final whistle of the Women's World Cup final here in Sydney, where Rebecca's shaky lionesses have fallen to Spain 1-0. Later on, our friend Roger Bennett will be joining the pod to help help us process it, quite frankly. Reminder, there will be adult language. Probably for Mary Ups, by the way. Can't wait. Oh, <sighs> oh. Oh, Rebecca, Ugh. here we are again, standing in the wreckage that has been collected in an emotional crater as yeah. we are talking after a World Cup final with the final score of Spain 1 and England's CBLs, that would be Cheeky Bloomin' Lionesses, nil. <laughs> well, you've given me a laugh straight up today, Brendan, which is the first time that's happened. Can I ask you philosophically speaking Brendan sure why in God's name do we like football why oh, do we bother thank you why do we <laughs> what on earth is it about people like you and I and our lovely listeners that think that this is going to add to our lives because let me tell you it very rarely bloody does Folks, it is no secret that this recording is not happening immediately after the whistle because, uh, you know, Rebecca was on TV as this match was ending. She has a job. You know, the poor thing had to watch that horrible outcome and then go talk about fucking Everton. And in the interim, I've tried to sleep. And as I was going to sleep, my main thought was, why do we do this? Why was the fuck it? do we do this? And you oh. fucking open with it. <laughs> Brendan, this is why, again, we must never meet ever again. Because somehow across the podcast airwaves, we connect on the same page. <laughs> but if you're with me, we could just end the podcast now because I think we're over and out, aren't we? I mean, I'm done. My, I, I literally, I think I'm done, mate. Well, this has been great. I want to thank everybody who has put this podcast together. Uh, <laughs> I thank our uh, producers and engineers and, uh, and all of you at home. Goodbye forever. Uh, yeah, it's such a funny thing. Like, the last World Cup men's final that we talked about was, of course, the single greatest oh. football match of all time. Uh, yeah, you're Even right. though, you know, neither of our teams won, it still was such a positive event to behold that it makes you forget that usually a tournament goes something like this tournament went, which is heartbreak. Heartbreak early, and then you, then you change gears to another team, and then, no, that team's out. And like, all right, okay, I'll go for this team over here. Nope, they're out too. <laughs> Get to the end. Okay, well, now it's just a 50-50 shot. I'm going to go with that team. No, they <laughs> lose too. Football, much like life as described by the Dread Pirate Roberts and Princess Bride, is pain, buttercup. Football is pain. So you sometimes get, like you say, the pain at every juncture. Or, in my experience with this tournament, I've had this very slow but deeply painful burning sensation of hope mm. from the first moment the Lionesses took to the field. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go 
good for them to win, but, you know, didn't fully feel it until last night when I went to bed and I thought, I mean, I, I'm very rarely, like, full-on confident. And I, I was full-on confident. And, Brendan, from minute one, the confidence began to drain away because I, I hate to say this, Brendan, you were there, correct me if I'm wrong, England didn't really turn up today. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say they didn't turn up. Spain were just excellent. Spain were were excellent. Spain were something that England hadn't quite seen yet. Not this Spain, anyway. I know they played at the Euros last year, but but this Spain was was a level above. And you know what's funny is like, you can't say this about every country's, you know, pairings of their men's team and women's team, but my God, the women's team essentially is the men's team in terms of how they play. Like, it's an almost identical style of football and it's, Fairly tantalizing, frankly. You know, it's possession-based, which can be boring, but it's not. It wasn't for them, and it just works a trick. I mean, they literally had England running in circles at times. They had England not only running in circles, but fouling Hmm. and still not able to get the ball off Spain. But they're just so good. It's funny you should say that. Michael Cox, you know, who writes The Athletic and amongst, I think, other publications, I heard on a podcast the other day say that a lot of these Spain players grew up worshipping Iniesta and Xavi and, and all those players in that era of Barcelona and Spain and that success. And football is one of those few sports, maybe the only sport, where the way it's played differs from country to country. And it's amazing. And when it comes together at a World Cup like this, like you say, England can't play like that. Maybe one day we'll be able to if we have a, maybe a different leader of some sort or a different culture. But it comes down to culture <laughs> on the streets is what it comes down to. England play the way England play. And Spain do what they do with their triangles and their pass. And, and like you said, twisting England up because that's in their culture. And it's kind of a beautiful thing that we have this one game that's beautiful in itself. And then everyone plays it slightly differently. And that's what makes a World Cup so special because it's all on display. Anyway, back to the game. Well, I'll just add one thing to that. Like, Spain were incredible, but in the end, not quite unbeatable. England's qualities brought many a chance. It's just those moments that England's going to get, and they know they're going to get, they have to take. I know. And they just simply didn't quite. And also, perhaps, it wasn't quite the right lineup for getting Mm -hmm. all those chances. Yeah. Let's start there. Uh, When the lineup comes out, what are your thoughts? Well, I'm completely unsurprised and I have massive respect for Serena Wiegmann. So I, I was unsurprised that she stayed with the tunage and kept Lauren James on the bench because she's that kind of consistent coach and she's loyal. And so I find it hard to sit here and say, I think she made a mistake, even though I do actually think she made a mistake. But how easy is that of me to say? As I said to you, Brendan, on the podcast the other day, I would have played Lauren James from the start because you saw, by the way, the difference she made when she came on. She got one of the closest to getting England back in the game. I think and you have a World Cup final in your future, which is a rare, rare thing. You have to play the best players on the field. I think that maybe was an error. But when the teams dropped, I was unsurprised. Yeah. To look at that lineup now is definitely Monday morning quarterbacking. But nonetheless, the impact of James later on did make you go, oh, damn it. Why? (laughs) Why wasn't you there sooner? Not too much early on in the first 15. Uh, A few half chances couple decent attacks by Spain. But then the 16th minute, Hempo slams one off the bar. Oh. And for a brief shining minute there, I guess for another 13 minutes, it felt like, yes, England are here. England are to be reckoned with. And that shot off the bar, of course, later turns out to be the closest England would come in the entire game. 
I know, right? It's just shocking. I mean, I thought we started slow anyway. I thought when we hit the bar, uh, I still didn't think we looked like us. And then a minute later, Mary Earps was called into her first save, just a minute later. Um, I know they didn't go 1-0 up until the 29th minute, but they just grew into the game so much quicker than we did, Brendan. And then, you know, the left back, Olga, with her second successive goal, 29 minutes on the clock. It felt like it was coming. It was unsurprising. Spain massively deserved the lead. They were the better team. I hope that was going to be then. Okay, wake up. Let's have that men- the mentality monsters that we've talked about on this podcast for the last month. England's mentality. Right, that'll wake them up. And it never really failed to do. It was such a characteristically Spanish goal. You know, it was just like this simple work to get there. And then the most, you know, casual yeah. of passes from, I think it was Caldente, just sliding it in space to her left, you know, just knowing that, that someone's going to come along and take that space. And sure enough, here comes Olga to slam it home. And obviously in the stadium, there's like, what? <laughs> you know, a terrifying moment. But still, you couldn't possibly think at that point that England would not come back at all. Brendan, in the stadium, was it quite split in terms of fans, would you say, between Spain and England? No, I actually think there were far more England fans, but they did not Ooh. have much to cheer. Um, yeah. So not much else happens the first half. Pariuelo terrified with one more shot. She hit the post, the didn't she? end of the half. That's when I thought, Brendan, okay, let's have half time. England, we need to get into the dressing rooms, get some oranges. Let's get some jelly babies in our bellies and let's go. Let's get to half time. That's when I said to myself, oh, I fear now we're chasing the game. I was actually in hair and makeup at the time. And I said to my makeup artist, who's Polish? Who doesn't care? And I said, Magdalena, I said, we need to get Lauren James on at half time. And weirdly, Brendan, I don't know about you, but I think halftime substitutions are slightly underused in football. And I mean all types of football. Yeah, you get the hour mark sub, you get loads after the 75th minute and then into stoppage time. But halftime subs are is seen, I think, still as quite a dramatic thing to do. Not as dramatic as a first half sub, of course, tactically. But a halftime sub is like, wow, well, I got that whole first half wrong. So I'm going to make a change. So at least she did that. Lauren James and Chloe Kelly both came on at halftime and they went to four at the back. She went to four at the back. She changed her system at halftime of a World Cup final. I mean, at least she did something. It didn't end up working. But I like the fact that she was proactive and she did something. I just think it was a bit late. Yeah. And you're spot on too. Like when it was not one, but two halftime subs, it was like, whoa, all right, Serena. Great. Not messing around. This is what you need in a World Cup final. And sadly, it was not to be. But this is in the Monday morning quarterbacking of it. We'll get to Lauren James, but every time Chloe Kelly touched the ball, something good happened. She was running at people. She was running past people. She was getting into space. Not quite enough end result, but still, it was much more dangerous than anyone had really been in the first half for England. And, you know, she was not necessarily on our watch list for, is is Chloe going to start? But it did make your wish that she had. And actually, you're right, because I think that she, her history will tell us that she is a player for the big moment. Yeah. And there is an argument, you're right, that maybe she should have been in the starting lineup or certainly there should have been more of a clamour for her because she does pull it out of the bag when England needed her most. And like you say, she she stepped up. For those who don't know, she scored the winning goal in extra time in the uh, Euros last year for England. So yeah, she has priors. And a few other things as well. 
Um, so then Mary Earps pulled off another save on 50 minutes. Then Bon Matty with a shot over the bar on 62. And then the game really started to ramp up in terms of tension on 64 when we had the Kira Walsh handball. So this review took forever. I know. It was the most obvious handball. I'm not quite sure what she was doing, but she definitely moved her arm and hand towards the ball. So it was Stonewall. And the, and the annoying thing is, when you're on that side of the equation, when you're hoping it's not a penalty, and it takes that long and it's so obvious, it's a pure torture. I'm sitting there like, oh, yes, look, we 100%. know, all right? We know. I'd always text you, referee. I can text you if you want. How on earth can you... I know she's an American referee and she's supposed to be one of the best because she is the World Cup final. But you go over to the screen, it takes you that long? Seriously, I mean, drag it out, why don't you? Blimey, it was so blooming obvious. So then, finally, Hermoso, <laughs> scorer of three goals already, steps up, takes the penalty, and you hang know... Hang on, hang on, Brendan. Before she steps up, how about Lucy Bronze? Yes. She was like, uh, it's not on the spot, the ball. It's not on the spot. I love that bit. I was like, get in there, it's not on the spot. Love that. Sadly, it was Lucy's biggest contribution to this particular match. But anyway... <laughs> You knew if Hermoso scores there, it's game over. Yeah. England yeah, could score yeah. one, but there was no way they were going to score two. And yes, <sighs> step forward, Mary, by my shirt, Erps, with a save that was Stallone-esque, by which I mean it harkened back, as far as I could tell uh, in my experience, to only Sylvester Stallone's <laughs> penalty at the end of the match against the Nazis in victory, a.k.a. escape to victory, and I say that because Stallone does not merely save the penalty. Stallone catches the penalty. And, and Erps catches the penalty in a World Cup final. Oh, my God. And then stands up and screams, fuck off! <laughs> best bit. Absolute best, best bit of the final. Um, Jeez. Uh, she was magnificent all day. You mentioned about you can't buy her shirt. Did you see that Nike have come out with a statement since the end of the World Cup where they are, I'm not going to read it to you because it's very long, doesn't actually say a lot, but within it somewhere it says, we're aware of the clamour to buy an England replica goalkeeping jersey and we're going to see what we can do in conjunction with FIFA and the FA and all that. I mean, it would have been a wonderful moment to just come out and say, Mary Earps, you're a ledge. Here's the link to where everyone can buy your shirt. I mean, they'd make a load of money out of it as well. So talk about moment missed. But anyway, you will be able to at some point, I don't know, in 2027, buy Mary Earps' shirt. Until then, she remains a penalty-catching, cursing, swearing, flipping ledge. <laughs> so then, I'm, then I've got a bit of hope, Brendan. I've got a bit of hope. I'm yes. thinking Earpsy. She's definitely not called that, but let's go with it. Um, saves the penalty. It's still one Huge nil. momentum shift. Yeah, huge. Uh, Lauren James is on the field and she has that effort on 76 just over the bar. Was that saved or did it hit the bar? I was, I was actually kind of on TV at the time. It was saved. It was great, great right-hand save by Cole. Yeah. Lauren James, yes, that was a great substitution, but she actually, this is at least how it felt in the stadium. Now, she was playing on the opposite side of the pitch for me, so if I miss something, I beg your pardon. But she was not having the impact that Kelly was at all for a very That's long time. True. But then suddenly after this penalty save, Lauren James became a player that was terrifying yeah. Spain. There were moments where there were three players on her and she was just you know racing through them. And that shot, oh man, that was deserving of a goal. Yeah, absolutely. And then there was about a thousand minutes of added time at the end in which we still didn't score, even though Mary Upps went up for the corner right at the end and you thought, could it? 
could, could we get that moment? Do we deserve this moment? No. But could we get the moment where Mary Earps goes up and heads home? The equalizers take an extra time, obviously didn't go away. And um, it's one of those things, Brendan, when, you know, the bottom line is the fact that Spain were the better team and there is no getting away from that. And you know what? If we're going to lose, I would rather lose in that way. I would, I would hate to be the better team and then, you know, lose on penalties or lose to a sort of a last minute goal against a runner play. So it feels acceptable because we just weren't at the races in comparison, in my opinion, to a completely comprehensive top level display from Spain today. So congratulations to them. The booing for Vilda when he was getting his medal um, it was just a bit weird. The whole Vilda thing, right? It's just weird. Jorge yeah. Vilda, the coach, because we talked about it, Brendan, the whole way through his podcast, how 15 players sent an open letter, an email to the Spanish Federation saying they did not want him. Emotional abuse allegations against him. The Spanish Federation doubled down, kept him. And then we have noted on many episodes of the friction between manager and player. Then the players were tossing him in the air at the end, which was interesting because that was about as close as they've got to him all blooming tournament and then the Spanish Federation tweeted out a picture of him holding the World Cup with the hashtag Vilda in which of course is in response to many Spain fans over the course of the last however many months with the hashtag Vilda out wasn't sure that was a brilliant PR move in that very moment you know they uh, I saw the other day that Vilda has been responsible for hiring team psychiatrists and this may not be fair, but nonetheless, all I can think of is, uh, Rebecca, I don't know if you were a Mad Men fan, but do you remember, I think it's season one, where Don hires Betty, a shrink, and Betty goes to see a shrink, and then at the end of the episode, at like 11 o'clock at night, wearing his robe, Don calls Betty's shrink to talk about what <laughs> Betty's been talking about, and the shrink is totally like, oh yeah, man to man, this is what we do. Let me tell you what your wife's been saying. <laughs> it does not feel like the most honest and forthcoming gesture. But yeah, it's such a weird thing. And and yeah, pretty tone deaf from the Spanish Federation. And it smacks of of what feels like a big part of the problem here with these federations who are not listening to their players is like they all trust their guy. The guys running these federations sure trust their guy down on the pitch because he's their guy. And it's gross. It's gross. It is, which I think leaves us both a little bit conflicted over them winning the World Cup. But on the day, if you just look at the football, then, of course, absolutely deserved. Yes. We've got Roger Bennett coming on shortly to talk a little bit more about this. But I know that you want to just touch on the closing ceremony. All right. First of all, it used to be in the days of footy that uh, when you won a trophy, what happened is you walked up the stairs to the box, you grabbed the trophy, you turned around and you're looking at the whole stadium and woohoo, great. Now... We've evolved into uh, building these little mini stages on the pitch, which is, you know, better for camera positions and television. Is it better for the experience? No, because the people who have lost the given final are obligated to stick around to collect their second place medals and then to stick around and wait for the actual trophy presentation and in, uh, you know, noble sporting fashion, applaud the winners. What's happening now is that with each passing final, the trophy podium becomes more and more elaborate and there are more and more technicians and carpenters <laughs> getting these oh, things goodness. together as quickly as possible and what happens is this losing team who have just had their dreams shattered have to stand in this pitch for like 20 fucking minutes for something that used to just be a walk up the stairs <laughs> so England are staying there for fucking ever and then adding 
insult to injury on this, by the time England are to step forward to collect their medals, and by now they've given you know the golden ball to Bonmati, deservedly, young player to Pariuelo, deservedly, best goalkeeper to Mary Earps, deservedly. Oh, and real quick, by the way, the goalkeeper trophy, which is essentially like a hand reaching up from the trophy itself toward you, the viewer, which was made fun of by Emmy Martinez mm. when he won it at the Men's World Cup, who you know held it on his junk. Um, but you know why he was able to make fun of it so easily? It's because it's a dumb fucking trophy. <laughs> anyway, so then it's time for England to get going. And as England approached the stairs, who was waiting for them at the bottom of the stairs? The fucking mascot. A fucking <laughs> blue mohawked penguin is trying to high-five them all as they go up to get their runners-up medals. And like by about the fourth oh, or fifth God. England player, he stopped trying to high-five them anymore. But now, instead... <laughs> Instead, as they go by, he like puts his fins up and like gives them a wave. <laughs> Why do they have to do this? And now they go up in this podium. There's like 10 people who they have to hug and shake hands with. And the whole thing takes like 45 goddamn minutes before we can even get to Spain getting the trophy in the first place. Let's show some fucking consideration for the people who had their dreams shattered. Get this fucking dais up as quickly as possible. Get the furry out of the goddamn way. Have a few fewer hugs and handshakes of goddamn damn strangers in suits who didn't do shit to be there and go the fuck home. Yes! Flipping yes! Was there a chef on the field at any point? <laughs> Good shout. Good shout. No All right. Let's bring in Rod, shall we? Yes, please. This podcast is presented by State Farm, which believes in amplifying the voices and profiles of women athletes. By ensuring coverage for female athletes today, State Farm helps set the stage for women's sports tomorrow. Like a good neighbour, State Farm is there. Folks, we are going to welcome now a very special guest. He's one of the co-founders of Men and Blazers, where they, too, cover the entire Women's World Cup with aplomb from start to finish. He is a once-and-former Brit and a current actual American and a spiritual Chicagoan, one of the people who has done as much to get America into soccer as anyone has over the last 20 years, or dare I say the last 100. Please welcome to the pod, our friend, the great Roger Bennett. Thank you for being here, Raj. Welcome, Raj. Guys, thanks for having me. I like to think of myself as the last thing holding football back from really going over the top in this nation. But Bex, it's never coming home, is it? Mate, I don't think it actually is ever going to. We started the pod today by... I just quite simply said to Brendan, I mean, and you feel the same way when it comes to Everton. Why do we bother ever? Because football so rarely gives us any joy, Rog. Uh, Everton is a corpse that um, there is no hope for. I'd say the England women are humanly spectacular. I feel very different about them. Obviously, I, I, I cheer for the US in every regard, but the narrative... Of the English women, you know, when we grew up, you chat, Emma Hayes comes on our show and talks about the 1980s in England where to kick a football as a woman was to be immediately flung to the periphery, to just be disregarded, mocked, derided in our misogynistic, macho society. So to see these women as national darlings, I actually find it so deeply moving. But in terms of it coming home, I do think it came close, came to the door. 
<laughs> it's all about knocking. <laughs> and just decided to go out for some tapas instead. Decided to go to Nando's. Nando's. I think, but uh, can I say, Brendan, I do want to congratulate you in an immense way, genuinely an incredible human achievement, cursing your way <laughs> through the entire tournament, which is just genuinely, I mean, Drake would look at you and just be like, oh my God, Brendan Hunt, I'm in awe. You, you, you went, you traveled, what is it, like 13,000 miles to cheer on the United States. How long did they last when you touched down on Australia? Was it 24 hours on Australian terra firma and they were clipped? A full 48, <laughs> Raj, true? a full 48 hours, I'll head. A full you know. 48, and then I've listed this. In my mind, because I've watched each one, I'm like, he can't do it again, can he? Bex? I know. You supported, in order, the United States. Bang. Japan. <laughs> Bang. Australia. God, did you have an England shirt yeah, on today? Again, today you did. <laughs> I, bang, I, bang, I'm going to take the hit on what you're describing, and out of respect to both of you, <laughs> I dared not wear any England gear yesterday in, in hopes of shaking the curse. I showed my support for England by in no way demonstrating my support for you England. You are the curse, though, Brendan. That is the problem. I don't think oh, it yeah, matters clear. what you <laughs> Oh, my gosh. How do oh, you experience gosh. this, genuinely? I mean, I'd say Arsenal fans listening, you will win nothing with Brendan Hunt. I mean... <laughs> Don't you dare. Don't you dare bring them you've in. Cut, you've cut a swath of doom and destruction in the most joyful way um, across this whole tournament. Bex, can we just say also about you, you laugh so much more now on the NBC Sports broadcast after being on this show. It's amazing. Do I? Yes. That's brilliant. Yes. That's brilliant. There were a couple of times this weekend where Musty said something. I can't remember what Musty said, which he just thought he was giving straight football analysis. And you were like, <laughs> the first time, because you've been so used to laughing that this is this show is at least the the Bex that like will scream minging at the top of my voice, and you can't once that switch has been flicked on with Brendan Hunt, you cannot switch Not it back on. Back. I know which one it was. It was when he was talking about when um, Gary O'Neill got fired and he spat his tea out. And yes. I, I lost it. I mean, I just had a yeah, big old cackle. <laughs> Big old cackle, Rog. This show oh. has been like, you know, in Greece, where at the beginning, she's just Sandy D. And at the end, in Dream Pipe smoking a cigarette. Tell me about it. It's like you've turned oh. up for this season of Premier League football and you're just taking no shit, Bex. And I love it. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Oh, I feel better now. It's what do you brilliant. want to talk about? I feel better. First of all, before we get too far away from it, to all the teams I love out there, I'm not this curse. I I just had a bad summer. <laughs> I've been to not only a winning Gold Cup final, but a winning Nations League final. Thank you very much. All the big tournaments. As long as the final is not watched internationally and takes place in Las Vegas, I am your man. All right, Rog, we're going to touch on a number of things. Sure. But real quick, the Lauren James situation. Now, Serena Vigman gets very little wrong. So I don't want to Monday morning quarterback. Is that how I use it, Brendan? Is that how I use it? Okay. You did really I don't good, want a Monday natural. morning quarterback on her, but where do you stand on the Lauren James thing? Do you think we would have had a better chance had she started? Well, first of all, the best part about the final was that there was no Salt Bay in evident attendance, which is just yes, reason number 277 that. why women's World Cup football is so much better than the inferior <laughs> men's version. Um, in terms of the game itself, you can't really be hypothetical about life. I'd ne- I always believe this. It's like, it didn't happen. And yeah. then Serena Wiegmann had a... 
an incredible choice. She had problem solved pragmatically through this tournament. This was a coach that had blown the doors off the Euros. Same starting eleven. Every single game, just power football, joyous football. This is a very different tournament, rigorous, um, robust, facing up to every single challenge flung at her. This was possibly her, you know, for a deeply pragmatic, deeply tactical, deeply inspiring, fundamentally remarkable human being. You know that chemistry, locker room chemistry, is such a fragile, complex mm-hmm. beast. You know, they'd won the two games Without Lauren James, we don't know fully and publicly they backed her totally. That moment of of youth and indiscretion, which we've all had. We don't know how it was received uh, within the team culture. You know, putting the team in an incredibly tough spot in the moment after all they'd been through. So I understand exactly why she made that choice. I think ultimately England were done in by something else watching it. I was in England for a day last week, Thursday. I was shocked by just how overwhelmed the English nation was, how in love that the hype meter was at 11. The BBC news was just leading. This is serious news, not tabloid news. Like Just massive profiles on each of the players. There was a profile on Serena Wiegmann where they talk seriously about whether she should be the next English men's national team coach. Ultimately, that flat first 45 minutes where no one played well, apart from the magical herps, it felt like almost the imp- immense pressure, you know, the nation rising up behind them the hype, the expectation, the the chance for legacy and legend, almost too much pressure led to just by everybody, even Lauren James when she came on, oddly nervous decision-making. They played tight, tight football and I think that's what did them in. Yeah. But we've got to say huge credit to Spain dominating an attack in the classic Spanish way of almost annexing possession. But also, yes, we knew they'd make the English midfield chase ghosts, exhaust them mentally and physically. What was amazing was that backline, the defensive potency with which they smothered that. I mean, that English attack is fearsome. It is is remarkable. It is magnificent. And that they were impenetrable and they kept a clean sheet to hold this immense English attack scoreless. It's an incredible achievement. Raj, I want to ask you about something that we were talking about on our uh, mailbag episode the other day. How big of a cultural moment is this going to be in the women's game between the dominance of America and the rise of Europe? America, not only did our national team go out, uh, you know, depressingly early, God, and then friendly. we have a final that is full of players from, you know, the Barcelonas, the Madrids, the Man Cities, the, the Chelsea's. Yeah, we are undoubtedly in an arms race. There is no doubt about it. For years, we had first mover advantage in the United States of America. Title Nine gave us this built-in superiority. We're almost the sole superpower in women's football, and we could biblically smite all comers and delight in doing it. There was a, a lovely exchange on Twitter today between Julie Foudy and one of her fans who said, oh, just watching the Spanish team pass the ball. It reminded me of what we oh, used to do with yeah. the 99ers. And Julie Foudy, good honour, not romantic, not nostalgic. She said, no, we could never do that. And you realise how far the game has come, how fast. We had Lindsay Horan the United States captain, come on the show. I had the joy of spending time with so many of the players during the tournament. Um, And Lindsay Horan came on early and it chilled me. She was very honest. She's the sole US player that plays for an elite European team. And she said, you know, what we need to acknowledge is there's a European style of playing football and there's an American one. These are her words. She said, the European one, I've learned it at Lyon, she said, we learn to value possession, to control the ball, 
to use her ideas to make the opponents buckle. She said to manipulate the opponents out of position so that we can then pounce. She said the American style, tried and tested, what we always do, we're athletic. We try and run fast and get in behind. And she said, I fear that we're going to learn that that's not enough. And it came to pass completely and absolutely. But going into this game, seeing the dominance of Barcelona, which is really what the Spanish won with because their coach knew less about football than many of the guests on your podcast. But they got there through the influence of Barcelona and England got there with great coaching and the influence of the Premier League game, which has been influenced by Pep Guardiola. Essentially, Pep Guardiola, his ideas infused both these nations in the final today. I think we just need to get Pep Guardiola. We need him here in the United States to give that same transformation. My Lord, we need him here, Brendan. Well, Rog, that leads us nicely onto my final question, which is the coaching situation facing US soccer with the US women's team. Now Vlatko is gone. Who do you want? Sam Allardyce, big Sam, <laughs> sure, is available. Sure. The name on everyone's lips. We need someone who understands the American mindset. The players have had so much leverage. The players have always been the face of the game in the United States, the commercial face of the game. They have so much leverage. We've always needed a coach that can you know, bring unity to the players through a tournament journey. But we've never needed really a coach who can lead in terrible times, who can make the panic decisions, who can make the pragmatic decisions, who can, you know, bench a star when they are, quote, underperforming. I imagine in 20 years, there won't be a sense of let's ask the players themselves, as they did. They all love Vlatko. When you heard about Vlatko, he seemed like a nice man. They were like, oh, the players love Vlatko. You probably need a manager who can do the tactical thinking, which was missed in this tournament, that can do the in-game fixes that were missed in this tournament. But that means you need an, you need kind of an alpha uh, manager. And we've not had... Uh, I mean, Jill Ellis was very, very strong and you know made her own decisions. But we've not had that kind of alpha leader. And ultimately, it's not just who is the manager, but how we're setting that person up to succeed. It's a whole new regimen a whole new approach to management. Well, I mean, you're talking about pragmatism and tactical bravery and being unsentimental about uh, roster choices. Are are not all these Dutch qualities, Raj? <laughs> are these not quintessentially Dutch? Oh, my God. And I didn't know until I saw it on your Instagram that Serena Wiegman is part of the UNC Tar Heels crowd. That one great year. Yeah, that's more than enough to understand America. Where are you going to learn more about America than at good old Chapel Hill? Come on, Serena. We can probably pay her in barbecue. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Just say, just tell us exactly how many burnt ends it's going to take, Serena. Let's negotiate this one in. Um, God, I do love that, though. In this moment... We still see ourselves as the world number one. We're like, of course, we'll go out and get Serena. I've heard a couple of commentators say, money's not an issue. Let's go out and get the best. We are the best. But if you're Serena Wiegmann right now, who would you like to coach in the here and now? Who has the most chance of winning gold? And I mean, that's how you see the answer. And the, the, the English Federation are briefing journalists, very, you know, very, very definitively. She is going nowhere. She sat down immediately, said, I'm going nowhere. Unfortunately, it's going to take more than barbecue. Who are you looking for? What's your conversation been like? Well, we've run through a few names. We haven't sort of come down on one or two. Laura Harvey's obviously one of the bookmakers' favourites at OL Reign. Emma Hayes, I think, would do a good job. Oh, fantastic. Her brain for me. She might be the first manager to make the crossover into men's football. I think if anyone is going to do that, it will be Emma Hayes at some point. Yeah. By the way, the Spanish manager, Vilda, 
Um, I've got a feeling he's going to end up being Everton's manager probably within about the next month. And just anything it can't get any bloody worse. Here comes that arsehole. Um, I, 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 do want, I, I do want to say two quick things before I go. I just want to say what a joy this tournament has been. What joy you've brought to people covering it. So, so many thrilling memories, so many inspirations, so many fuses lit for this game. Linda Caicedo skipping through the German bat line. Chloe Kelly consoling Nigerian goalkeeper after winning the penalties. Alyssa Nair, God, just calmly step it up. Yeah, and mostly Sam Kurt bringing a, an entire country to its feet. It's been amazing uh, for the world. For the America, it's been challenging. There is hope. Naomi Gurma, 23, future captain. Alyssa Thompson, 18, so talented. Trinity Rodman, Kat Macario, Mallory Pugh coming back from injury. And if we can get that coach, if we can get that coach who can lead in times of challenge as well as when we romp to to victory, that's what we need. And also just to keep Brendan away from important games. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. They're going to believe you, Roger. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Sorry. It's true. Thank you, Roger. Believe me because it's true. It's great to be with you both. To your health, to happiness, and to, to better days ahead for all. Big love. Thanks, Roger. You've been a gem. Courage. Roger Bennett, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Roger. On or off the pitch, women athletes deserve to be recognized for being awesome competitors and for being inspiring role models for generations to come. That's why State Farm is proud to present this podcast. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. For the final episode, Brendan, we have one bit in a bob, and that is we have to decide on the future nickname of the US WNT. Mia Hamm got it down to three, the Riveters, USA, and Liberty Bells. Talk us through how we found our winner. We don't have a winner yet, Rebecca, quite simply. We're about to. First of all, we've got a, we've got a veto. We've got a veto from the home office. Liberty Bells, off the board. It is off the board. And the reason why is that uh, when Liberty Bills first came out, and I forget the name of the uh, of the listener who pitched it to us, I thought Bell just meant woman. I didn't know Bell specifically means a quote-unquote beautiful woman. And so we can't have that. We can't have, you know, look at our look at our freedom hotties. That's just not <laughs> the spirit of what a, a women's soccer team is. So that is our bad. And so it is off the board. Okay. Uh, so we are down to the Riveters. And USA. And what's going to happen right now, Rebecca, is I'm going to count to three. Okay. And then we're going to say each what our vote is. And okay. it's going to be rock, Ooh, paper, scissors, style, fun? three, two, one, shoot. So you do okay. it after one, okay, not got on it. one. On okay? it. I got it. Three, two, one. USA. USA. Yes! Yes. We did it. I love that. All right, folks. The U.S. Women's National Team going forward, at least on this podcast, is USA. And, uh, you know, try it amongst your friends. We have until the Olympics next year to see if it takes off. And, uh, you know, go back and listen to the Michelle Akers episode if you don't know what the hell it is we're talking about. There are priors. There are history. It's organic. It is USA. Rebecca, it has been yet again a wonderful pleasure. And we got some people to thank. Yeah, go for it. Okay, all right. So many people who have made this podcast possible. Adam Durson and Dan Posner making up the crack research team. Sandy Alouette 
who booked all our amazing guests this season. Also thanks to all of our amazing guests. Uh, Wolfgang Ruth, our social media editor. Thanks to Shaker Saman uh, for the assist with research and Ryan Lissy for his assist with episode mixing. Will Rains made our theme music. Casey Means is our unbelievably talented audio engineer, mixer, and editor, and also the guy who goes to Rebecca's house to tell her how the rig works. Uh, Every time. He came to my house, too. And finally, Ruby Edmondson and Irva Gunja executive produced the show. Rebecca, I also want to thank you. This is two tournaments in a row where I just feel incredibly fortunate to be able to talk football with someone who is not only delightful, but just knows so much more about it than I do. So thank you. <laughs> oh, Brendan, I second all the thanks for all those amazing people. And you, Brendan, are like a gem and a light in my life. And so is this podcast. So thank you so much. And also thank you to all of our incredible listeners who've been so interactive and enjoyed the pod as much as we've made it. That's it. If you're looking for more football coverage following this tournament, be sure to check out Apple's new podcast in partnership with MLS. It's called Offside with Taylor Twelman and covers everything happening in the world of American men's soccer. And for more sports coverage every day, you can follow your favorite teams and leagues in My Sports on the Apple News app, where available. Ah. <sighs> Another tournament ends. Another period of waiting. And what are we waiting for? Just to feel like shit one more time. Why, Rebecca? But Brendan, don't worry. Because tomorrow, it's the Brendan-Rebecca derby in the Premier League. It's Arsenal against Crystal (laughs) Palace. There's going to be more tears. I know it is. I'll text you. I'll text you tomorrow, mate. Oh, love it.